0: and all of our partners that are joining us at this time. um, We ask that you would uh, turn in your copy of the word of God uh, to Acts chapter six. God said that he would shake the heavens. And I believe that the heavens are being shaken And God is calling the world to repentance and reconciliation. And I believe that we haven't seen the worst yet because God said he will shake the heavens until the nations fear him and walk in obedience to his word. And so the cry from heaven Today, as racial injustice and riots are breaking out around the country, it's for us to come to a place of repentance. And so we're going to we're going to we're going to be talking a little bit about that. And there's so much involved that there's no one sermon, one conversation, one act that will. Uh, Answer the questions or solve the problem, but we're going to talk about some things some specific things that we can do That I believe that God would be pleased with I want to thank our church family for uh, Surprising my wife and I this morning uh, With the video. I'm still trying to figure out who uh, Was behind that that was so encouraging such a blessing Uh, in the midst of all that's going on God has blessed us with a campus Uh, 10 acres of land, which is really a campus, and then now uh, my church family just blows our mind with a video uh, that just really uplifts uh, our spirit. So thank you so much, uh, church family. Uh, I specifically want to say to Brother Tim, Deacon Tim, uh, I miss you praying for me on Sunday mornings. I don't know what you're doing, but you're off your job, and so you need to uh, start making that call to pray for your pastor. I greatly appreciate that. Uh, In the very near future, you will be receiving a communication from the pastor and our elders, and I thank God for godly leadership and for the wisdom of our elders. Uh, We'll be sending you correspondence about specific strategies that we have jointly uh, developed as we felt directed by the Spirit of God to return uh, to our, our uh, time of corporate worship in, in the building, you will be hearing from us uh, in regards to that. Also, this is uh, the National Day of Pentecost, uh, the, the celebration of first fruits that was uh, celebrated uh, 2,000 years ago in Jerusalem And it was on that day that the spirit of God came, the spirit of first fruits, the Holy Spirit indwelled those who gathered in the upper room. And so the church around the world is acknowledging uh, the first fruits of the Holy Spirit in the birth of the church. So join with us as we recognize um, that uh, the church of Christ, as he said, I will build my church and the very gates of hell will not prevail against it. And so the church is still thriving and the church is still progressing. And finally, um, I want to just uh, encourage those of you who are partnering partnering with us to continue to give faithfully as we uh, move towards our relocation and also uh, take responsibility for ministering to the body of Christ during these challenging times and so we're believing god for great things uh join us as we are obedient to being a church that helps people reach their full potential by making disciples who make disciples uh let's pray heavenly father we bless you and we thank you for who you are god we are we are so grateful for the power of prayer Uh, the fervent prayers of the righteous have great benefit And so Lord, we're lifting up our voices before you and we find our safety in the tabernacle that we're ushered into. For as you have said in your word, come boldly unto the throne of grace and it is there we will find mercy to help us in the time of need. And so God, we're running into the very throne room. May we join one another wherever we happen to be at this moment. God, we're entering into your presence and we're crying on that name and calling out to you in that name, which is above every name, the name of Jesus Christ. And now God bless what you have to say for you, to your church today. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord. Now, uh, our, our passages in Acts chapter six, and I'm just gonna read verses one and two for now. But with the believers multiplying rapidly, there was a rumbling of discontent. Those who spoke only Greek complained that the widows were being discriminated against, that they were not being given as much food in the daily distribution as the widows who spoke Hebrew. So the 12 called a meeting of all of the believers. And you're gonna see that uh, this translation is the living letters. Uh, you're going to see that the word discriminated against the word discriminate is rendered uh, overlooked and neglected in the, uh, the, uh, in the New King James it's translated uh, neglected and in the NIV uh, it's translated overlooked and so we'll, we'll, we'll get into uh, why I am sharing from the new Uh, From the living letter, it's a translation that renders the word discriminated against. Now, as I prepared uh, to share the word of God with you today, I this morning began to rewrite the introduction and I was going to rehearse many of the things that we have seen in horror on, on the news Uh, about what transpired in Minneapolis, Minnesota with uh, George Floyd. And then the Lord redirected me. We don't need to revisit that. We've seen and heard and our country is reeling and people are hurting and angry and acting out of anger to be heard and Obviously, we don't justify violence and, and acts that destroy property and harm others. But this is a cry for help, for, for change. And so we, we, we recognize that and it, it has destabilized our country. And while these things are s- seemingly out of control Uh, there's no leadership coming from Washington. And so it's very easy to lose heart. But what caught my attention yesterday uh, out of all of the tragic news was what transpired in Atlanta in front of the uh, CNN building that had been defaced with graffiti, windows had been broken out, glass on the ground, various debris, uh, one of the reporters was interviewing a group of people that were cleaning the glass and painting away the graffiti and picking up the trash. And the question was, who, who are you and why are you doing this? And one of the men uh, responded by saying, uh, my church along with my wife uh, came to this location yesterday knowing that the protesters were going to be meeting at this very location. And so we felt led to pray over the spot where the protest was going to occur. And as they were crying out to God for safety and for for the nation to hear, they were impressed by the crowd that was forming and how peaceful the conduct of those who had gathered actually was. When they arrived home, they were surprised to turn the news on and to discover that calm, protesting crowd, some of them had resorted to becoming a rioting mob. And so they defaced uh, the property. They set cars on fire. They refused to allow the fire department to have access to uh, the cars that were burning. And it was just a really tense situation. And so the question that the CNN reporter asked, why are you here cleaning up? And the response of the man, he said, my church family felt led by God to do what the church should do. God has made us for such a time as this. The church is in the world to clean up the mess that was started way back in the garden by Adam and Eve by going into the world and not just proclaiming the message of Christ, but by our actions through pushing a broom, picking up trash, becoming the message. And so I was encouraged by what these church members did who identified themselves as followers of Jesus Christ in a time of crisis. And I was reminded of the fact that what God wants for the church at times is this, times such as this, is for us to rise, rise to the occasion rise to the occasion. In fact, in Acts chapter six, verses one through seven, we are invited to a time in the church when it was flourishing. The scripture says that with the believers multiplying rapidly uh, that the church was just growing enormously. And and this uh, was such a rapid growth after the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter two that the church had now reached the point where they were probably at least 10 to 20,000 members. Uh, The church of Jerusalem was the first mega congregation. And they were thoroughly enjoying the manifestation of the work of God, uh, the fellowship between other believers, and just watching the Lord meet needs, financially, emotionally, socially and in the, in the scripture says that God was giving the church favor amongst one another and also even in the sight of unbelievers. The problem was they forgot the mandate that Jesus gave in Acts chapter one verse eight and that is he said but when the Holy Spirit comes you shall receive power and you shall become my witnesses in Jerusalem. They got that part right. But he he adds, and in Samaria and Judea and unto the uttermost parts of the inhabited earth. And so they had stopped at Jerusalem and they were comfortable with having a holy huddle every time the church gathered. And so the Lord allowed some conflict to emerge within the church to cause the believers in Jerusalem to become uncomfortable. I want you to know that this world is not our home and the Lord has not called us to to convenience. He has not called us to be at ease in Zion. Uh, he has not called us to go along, to get along. In fact, the Bible says, come out from among them and be ye separate, save the Lord, and touch not the unclean things. The word of God says that we would be involved in spiritual warfare, and therefore we need to put on the whole armor of God. And so we are, in, we, we are ambassadors in a foreign place awaiting our arrival to heaven, which is our home. And so while we're here, there is going to be, as Jesus says, you will have trials and tribulations. And one of the trials that arose in the church at Jerusalem was that there were Greek-speaking believers who were widows, 65 years and older. Husbands had died. No financial provisions from their family. And they were dependent upon the church. And this group of Greek-speaking widows were not from Jerusalem. Well, they were from the larger area of Palestine. And so we would call them, and we'll talk a little bit more about it. We would say that they were immigrants in Jerusalem and they were the minority group within a larger group of widows who spoke fluent Hebrew and who were born in Jerusalem. The Bible says that they begin to complain because they were being discriminated against. They were being discriminated against. But before we kind of unpack that, Let's return to the promise that Jesus made uh, to the church that equips the body of Christ to deal with whatever problems the world brings in our direction, whatever problems God brings to our attention, be that racism, pandemics, financial distress, the church was made to handle it. That's why we're in the world. Every problem that man could ever have, there's a solution for that in the Word of God. Jesus actually said, We said, I'm going to build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And he said, Peter and to the disciples, I am going to give you keys to unlock every satanic fortress that is erected to prevent the forward progress of the church. And so we had keys for racism, we had keys for discrimination, we had keys. For prejudice, we have keys for disappointment. We have keys to unlock the various troubles that people find themselves bound by. The church was made for such a time as this. We need to rise to the occasion. Now, how do we have what it takes to respond to the great challenges that politicians and educators? And financial experts, anthropologists, sociologists have not been able to answer. I'm glad you asked. Go back to Acts chapter 1 verse 8. Jesus says, but when the Holy Ghost comes, you will receive power. Good news, brothers and sisters, is that we've got the spirit of God who comes into our life at the moment that we believe. And he has given us power to do whatever Jesus did. He, in fact, said greater works than these would his church do. And so we've got Holy Ghost power to confront all that we are facing today. Remember that. Now, what does the power of the Holy Spirit enable believers to do? You shall receive. That was the promise. The, the Holy Spirit came. In Acts chapter 2, the spirit came and indwelled believers. And ever since then, when you place your trust in Christ, the Bible says we have all been baptized into one spirit. We're not saved by works of righteousness we've done, but we are saved by the washing and the renewing and the regeneration of the Holy Spirit. You have been made alive by the spirit of God. And so we've got the spirit that Jesus said he would send we would receive power. We've got this power. Now, what does this power enable us to do? One of the things that the Holy Spirit's power enables us to do is to speak life into dead situations. We can speak life into what has already been pronounced dead. Listen to the words of Jesus in John chapter 6, verse 63. It says, uh, it is the spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. All of our wisdom, all of our training, all of our resources, uh, profits nothing. The word that I speak to you are spirit and they are life. So Jesus said that the word that he was speaking to them gives life. When those words are spoken, life is released. And John, uh, uh, Peter responds when Christ says to the disciples, after thousands decided to depart, when he said, you must eat my flesh and drink my blood. You must accept the death that I'm going to be uh, uh, experiencing on the cross and receive me as your Savior and Lord. Uh, Many, the Bible says, many depart. And then Jesus turns to the disciples and says, will you leave as well? And then Peter responds, speaking for the 12. He said, but Simon Peter answered. And he said, Lord, who shall we go? Where shall we go? You have the word of eternal life and we have come to believe and to know that you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And so what Peter says is that the words that they have received from Christ that we too can speak in the power of the Holy Spirit are life-giving. We have the power to speak, uh, to redeem those who are lost in their sins, dead in trespasses and sin. We can speak to that situation and they can be brought to spiritual life. They can be made, they can be made alive spiritually. The scripture says it also uh, in, 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 in um, uh, Romans chapter one, verse 16, Paul says, speaking of the, the message, the word of life, he says, I am not ashamed of the message of the good news of the gospel because it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. When the spirit comes, we can speak life to that which is spiritually dead. We can bring to Christ through the message of the gospel, the lost into a saving relationship. So you can speak the message of redemption and that which was formerly dead spiritually is made alive. I'm not ashamed. Paul also says in 1 Corinthians chapter 18, he said, for the message, the proclamation, the word, the good news of the cross is to them who are perishing. It makes no sense. It's moronic. It's foolishness. But unto us who are being saved, it is the power of God unto salvation. And so what he's saying is the word that we have is spirit. And because that word has been given to us, And we've been commanded to share, when I speak the word of God, I have the ability, the power, the authority to speak over dead situations and redemption will occur. People will get saved. We have the power to restore that which is broken. You can restore that which is broken through the, through, the, through the words that you speak, we know that the power of life and death is in our tongue. So as you're looking at the TV screen and as you're hearing people uh, 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 share their heartbrokenness and their death, their, their confusion and, and lack of hope, we need to understand that there is power in the life and power in the life, the power of life and death is in our tongue. So we need to be very careful what we say about these circumstances. And, and because we have the spirit of God and can speak life, we're able to restore that which is broken. In Hebrews chapter four, verse 12, it says, for the word of God is quick. The word of God is alive and powerful. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It pierces between the divining asunder of soul and spirit. It can cut between the soul and the spirit. It's a and it is a and, and, and between the joint and the marrow. And it says the word of God can discern the very thoughts and intent of the heart. We can speak a word of God and perform supernatural spiritual surgery that no medical expert or equipment could ever uh, 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 accomplish. The word of God is sharper. It's alive. We can do supernatural laser surgery just by using the word of God during this dark time. The word of God is alive and the spirit of God is living in us. And so the power of the Holy spirit enables me to speak restoration and to provide hope for those who are without hope. It also allows us to speak, to not only to see people redeemed and restored, but we can see people literally resurrected. The Bible talks about this in in, in, in Acts chapter 9, where there's a woman named Dorcas, and she dies. Dorcas dies. She's also called Tabitha. And she was such a blessing to the church. Uh, Peter, who was in a city near uh, to where uh, Dorcas had died, they called him. He rushed, and they found this woman in the upper room, and she'd been dead. And they were just crying and sharing all the great things, this woman's testimony, her testimony to Peter. And then Peter said, get out. Put all of them out. And then after they leave the room, in verse 40 of Acts chapter 9, what Peter does, the Bible says, he says to, he says, Tal, Talib, uh Tabitha, Tabitha, get up, get up. And Dorcas, which was her original, her, her, her actual name, and she was called Tabitha, she got up. She was dead, but Peter being led by the spirit of God spoke life over a dead body, and the woman who was dead got up. God resurrected her. And I'm not saying that God resurrects everybody who dies. What I'm saying is that there's resurrection power in the word of God that we can speak because we have the spirit of God living in us. Let me give you another example in Ezekiel chapter 37, God, and through a vision, he takes the prophet Ezekiel to a valley and it's filled with dry bones uh, and, 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 and the, bones are, the bones are dead and there's no life and, and they're scattered. And then the, and the Lord says to Ezekiel, will or can these bones live again? Can these dead things live again? Can rec- racial reconciliation occur? Can America be healed? Is it possible for that which has died to be made alive? And Ezekiel responds He says, Lord, you are the sovereign God. You alone know. You know, Lord. And then here's what God says Oh, this blessed me. He says, Speak to the bones, e- e- Ezekiel. Speak to them. Prophesy over them, and they will live again. I want you to understand that this is a time where we need to be speaking over situations. Speaking over the trouble that we see in the world and these bones that have been dead, these bones that have been, have been a stench in America from its very inception. I want you to know that that which was dead can be made alive if we prophesy the word of God over that which is dead. And so through the power of the Holy Spirit, we have resurrection power. We can speak over those things that are dead, marriages that have been buried and given up on. We're able to speak a word of life. But when the Holy Ghost has come, that's why I'm confident that the church is the answer for what's going on in the world today. Because we have the power of the Holy Spirit. But we also... Not only do we have the power to speak a word of life, but we have, a, we have supernatural insight from God that provides wisdom for problem solving. You and I have been, made, have been given the wisdom of God for every circumstance we find ourselves in. So that when you respond, you are able to, to give the mind of God to a circumstance that will not only alleviate the temporal problem, but have eternal benefit. Listen to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 10 and 13 and 14 says, but we know about these things because God sent his spirit to tell us and his spirit searches out and shows us all of God's deepest secrets. God has things that he doesn't reveal to the world. In fact, verse 14 says, but the natural man does not receive the things from the spirit of God, neither can he know them, because they are foolishness unto him. Of course, they are without the spirit of God. And so there's secrets that God reveals to those who have his spirit living in them. And he enables us to understand circumstances that we have no business having any uh, 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 clarity of or understanding of. You've, you've experienced it. I don't know how many times as a pastor, as a father, as, as, as a husband. And I'm in a circumstance, I don't know what to say. I've never experienced this. My training didn't prepare me for it, but I stopped and I said, I prayed. I said, Lord, would you give me wisdom? You know, the Bible says that if any man lack wisdom, let him ask of God. He gives all men liberally. And you opened, I opened up my mouth or you opened up your mouth in that circumstance. And when words came out of your mouth and you know, there was no way that you should have known what to say. And how to handle a situation except for the presence of the Lord who gives us through the Holy Spirit wisdom and insight that the world doesn't have. And so the reason why the church can respond to circumstances that the world doesn't have an answer for is because the spirit of God reveals the deep things of God. The Bible says eyes have not seen, ears have not heard, nor has entered into the hearts of men. What God will reveal to them who love him? And so we got the spirit of God that enables us to see what the enemy is doing in his in the privacy of his own room. The Lord reveals secrets that grant unto the church wisdom to respond in complicated situations that provide answers that honor him and bless those who are struggling. The Holy Spirit not only gives us a power to speak a word of life, and to have supernatural insight, but the Holy Spirit that enables us to address the, the, the events of our time, is it gives us power to love our enemies like God loves us. You can love people who hate you, who discriminate against you, who are prejudiced against you, who mistreat you. In fact, the Bible commands it. Jesus said it's easy to love those who love you, but here's, I, here's what I'd say. Here's the kingdom rule. He said, love those who hate you, pray for those who despitefully use you, and then, oh, this is the kicker. He said, bless them who curse you. We have power through the Holy Spirit to love our enemies the same way God loves us. Here's what Romans chapter 5, verse 5 says, and the hope, and hope does not put us to shame. Because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. The Holy Spirit has deposited into your life, into my life, the love of God that enables us to have a limitless resource that overflows, that, it, that causes me to be a, even able to give my enemy a drink of water if he's thirsty and to pray for them in spite of all that I know they feel about me. The Holy Spirit living in us gives us power to love our enemies. It enables us to have divine insight, wisdom, It enables us to speak a word into dead situations and give life. It also enables us to live a victorious Christian life. You can live victoriously in spite of all that's going on around. You don't have to go and blow something up or shoot somebody or cut somebody out. You can live in obedience to the word of God. The Bible says, Paul speaking in Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 and 17, he said, this I say, walk in the spirit. How can we walk in the Spirit? Because Jesus says, well, when the Holy Ghost has come, you shall receive power. Well, the Holy Ghost has come, and he's living in us. He's not just with us. He's in us. He says, walk in the Spirit. Oh, one step at a time. Be filled, be controlled, be yielded to the Holy Spirit, and you will not fulfill the desires of the flesh, the evil desires of the flesh, because the flesh and the Spirit are at war one with another. They're contrary one to another. But So I can live victoriously, even in the midst of all that's going on. Because the spirit of God lives in me. The spirit of God is living in me. You have power, dunamis power, supernatural, Holy Ghost. God himself is living in you and there's nothing that shall be impossible with God. I can see the light at the end of the tunnel. I can see my way through the mountain. The Bible even tells us, he said, if you have the faith, the size of a mustard seed, I can speak to whatever mountain. It's got to go. I can speak to the mountain of prejudice and discrimination and bias. And I know that it will flee from my heart. Because the Lord. Is indwelling me with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit not only enables me to live the victorious life, he also gives me power over fear. Power over fear. Oh, when you get a chance in Acts chapter uh, 4, verse 29, when the ch- when when uh the disciples were being threatened and told not to use the name of Jesus, they went into prayer. They got serious. I want you to know that's our greatest resource in terms of calling on heaven and releasing. The, the the very arsenal that is available to us is in heaven. The Bible says that we have weapons, but our weapons are not carnal, but they are mighty to the pulling down of strongholds. And we we, we access those 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 resources, those mighty powerful spiritual resource through prayer. And so they went into prayer and they said, Lord, give us boldness to declare the name of Jesus in the midst of this threat. He said, they, they said, Lord, did you hear them? Did you hear what they told us? Did you hear how they threatened your church? Did you see what was happening? And the Bible says, after they prayed, the place where they were, were it began to shake and began to shake. God was so pleased with their cry. And the scripture says, and they left with greater boldness. Fear was replaced by boldness. When the spirit of God is in control, you won't be controlled by fear. God said, I'm not giving you the spirit of fear, but of power and of a power and of a sound mind and self-control. We don't have to operate in the spirit of fear, even in the midst of all that is going on around us, because we have the Holy Spirit of God indwelling us. Fear. Courage is not the absence of feelings of fear. But so when I say we don't have to fear, it, courage is the refusal to submit to fear. You don't have to submit to fear. You don't have to submit to what you're watching on TV. You don't have to uh, stay awake at night wondering what's going to happen tomorrow. We know who controls tomorrow and today and yesterday. The same God who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so the reason we have hope that we can respond for times like this, we can rise to the occasion, is because the promise of a Holy Spirit has been fulfilled, and he's living in us. Now, the question arises is, why do you need the Holy Spirit to rise to the occasion? And I really believe that one of the greatest reasons why we're facing the challenges that we are today, the problem didn't start in Washington. The church has failed because God said, if my people were called by my name, would humble themselves in prayer, he promised what he would do if his church was in its rightful place as, as trailblazers and 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 and, and the city on a hill? I really believe that the greatest a statement of racial injustice and inequities is right in the church, and it was said twenty. Twelve years ago, when I I was growing up during the era of Martin Luther King, my my parents walked in protest. I've seen my mother grabbed and maced by cops. I've watched that happen. And and, uh, my my neighbors billy clubbed in their effort to have just basic human rights. I've seen that. And and, and it was said then, and it's true now, the most segregated hour in America is 11 o'clock on Sunday morning. The church is still segregated by color. I'm not going to say by race because there's only one race. There's the human race. We have different, different, different variations of the one race. The term race itself as it references humans is racist by its definition. There is no multiple race. We all made from dirt. God formed man from the dust of the earth and we're simply different shades of dirt. But we need the Holy Spirit because there are problems in the church. Back in Acts chapter 6, But when the believers were multiplying, when God was blessing, when we were getting off new property, there's trouble in the world. There's a pandemic in the international pandemic. Over 100,000 people, souls have been lost to to the coronavirus. And now we have we have uh, an uproar of anger and violence because of, quote unquote, racial injustice. People being mistreated because of the color of their skin, and the Bible says the problem. Is, it identifies the problem that they, uh, they, the Greek-speaking Jews, as I mentioned earlier, the minority were they were being overlooked. They were being neglected. They, and, and what made it discrimination, uh, and the difference between prejudice and discrimination is prejudice. The word simply means to prejudge and to develop an attitude towards someone without having all of the, the to, to come to a conclusion about a circumstance or a person without having the adequate facts. So prejudice is prejudging someone without all of the facts. And what makes it negative is because you draw the wrong conclusion because you have limited information and choose not to be informed. And so prejudice is an attitude while discrimination is our response to the attitude discrimination is an action of mistreating or depriving someone of something because of what you prejudge them about, and it is demonstrated through stereotyping or it is it is encouraged or or informed by stereotyping and and generational misinformation, and so. This group, this minority, the Bible says, they were being discriminated against. And it happened to be because they were widows and they were minorities. And sometimes in our society today, if you're a senior citizen, you're going to be left out. You're going to be looked over and so forth. And so there are different reasons why we mistreat and abuse others. But if you look at James chapter 2 and also we see it in in the church of Acts chapter 6, it's wrong. It's sin. God hates it. Now, why do people discriminate? I'm glad you asked. Why do we do it? And notice I said we, because none of us are exempt from mistreating or abusing people or are are excluding people. We don't necessarily, we're too sophisticated and educated and and, and we love Jesus too much to abuse, but you can exclude people. You can come to wrong conclusions about them. Like Mark, Mark chapter seven said, don't judge one, judge others. Uh, in Matthew chapter 7, don't judge others uh, with limited information uh, because in the same way that you judge, you will be also judged. We do that all the time. We, 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 we judge a book by its cover. We draw conclusions about people based on what somebody said. Sometimes we exclude people because of how they look. You know, man, they sure look funny. Uh, they must think there's something. Look at all the expensive things that they're wearing. I know they don't make they ain't, they ain't working like that. I know where they work. I know where they came from. Sometimes we discriminate because of and, and, and again, it's usually because of some external thing about someone or something that we've drawn conclusions about that are that are that's incorrect. That's incorrect. So here's why here, here's why we why we discriminate. Fear of loss. Write that down. Fear of loss. Of loss we feel threatened. mistreating others prevents us prevents them from gaining equal power and privilege. So if I discriminate against you if I treat you a certain way, that keeps you from getting what I have that I feel threatened that you're trying to take. Now here's an example of that in, in in Exodus chapter 1, Uh, verses 9 through 11, Uh, when the Bible says when Joseph died, you know, the children of Israel had moved into Goshen and God was blessing them under Joseph. When Joseph died, the Bible says another pharaoh, a new king of Egypt uh, who felt no obligation to the descendants of Joseph, he told the people, uh, the Egyptians, these Israelites are becoming dangerous to us because they are so many, there's so many of them. Let us figure out a way to put an end to this. Let's figure out a way to discriminate. Let's figure out. He prejudged. He determined because they were growing and being blessed, and and keep these immigrants. We got to get this thing under control. Too many interracial marriages. We got to get this thing under control. Too many black folk are are, are, are getting positions of power. Too many people are getting. Uh, opportunities to challenge us about things that have been institutionally true in this country. They want us to tear down statues and they want us to uh, remove uh, historical uh, uh, relics that remind us of authority that we have. So let, let me keep on going. So the Israelites are becoming dangerous to us. Let us figure out a way to put an end to it. If we don't and war breaks out, they will join their enemies and fight against us. And and we and we will have to escape from our own country. So here's what they did. Here's the discrimination. So the Egyptians made slaves of them, and brutal taskmasters over them to wear them down under the heavy burden. And so they discriminated against the Jews, who God was blessing, because they were they were a threat to their power and privilege. So when we are afraid of people, we will discriminate against them to protect ourselves from losing what we feel can be taken by someone or or, or, or someone or or another group. Here's another reason uh, we discriminate. False information based on prejudice and stereotypes that sometimes have been taught for generations. Black people are lazy, black people are violent. Uh, Black men are, 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 are demonized. Uh, because of their alleged sexual prowess, uh, black women are supposed to only be—they're uh, not as intelligent, and they're supposed to be uh, basically they 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 they, they their, their wounds are so fertile that they can have ten children to every other uh, group of people's one child. It's just just false information. The new king assumed that is that the, that the Jews were a threat. They weren't a threat. And so false information, where children have grown up in homes where their parents and have taught them what their parents have taught them about different groups, people of color, and based on those things that they are taught, then a system of discrimination is perpetuated. Stay with me, we're almost finished. Here's another reason why we discriminate. Foolish confidence. Write that one down. Foolish confidence. I'm colorblind. I never discriminate. I'm not prejudiced. Those people just want a reason to tear up stuff. The people, um, they, they should be happy that they're in America. Wait a minute. Why should we be happy that we're in America? Uh, this is our country just as it is yours. In fact, the, 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 the reason America has the many Benefits that we are experiencing today is because people of color have worked in the fields and etc. So uh, there, there are people who actually feel like they I ain't president. I just treat everybody the same. No, people are different colors, sizes, and shapes. And so if you say that you don't recognize that, then you're crazy, and you're lying. And, and it is a great passage in Luke chapter eighteen where the the the, the Pharisee. And the and tax collector, they go to the temple to pray. And so the Pharisee turns to the Lord, and he thinks he's praying to the Lord. He said, Lord, I thank you that I'm not like this dude. Oh, he's wicked. Oh, he's a tax collector. I know he's going to bust hell wide open. He said, I pray every day. I fast, and I tithe 10% of all of my earnings. And so in his mind, he was, he was, right with God there was nothing wrong with him he didn't need to repent of anything and that to me the most dangerous group in our country is not the person who put his knee on the neck of, of George Floyd it's the it's the it are the people who are sitting in the privacy of their homes and they're not saying anything and can still say I'm not prejudiced I don't discriminate you discriminated in your silence Those who are in power have to speak to injustice for injustice to change. It is a false narrative for you to sit and say, some of my best friends are black. Yeah. Have you called them? Have you spoken into this situation? Now, I'm not one. I'm wanting to avoid uh, uh, pointing the finger or painting a uh, 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 pit of uh, uh, taking a broad brush and covering everybody because not everybody fits into this category. Uh, but there's a foolish, con- a foolish confidence that somehow we are above being prejudiced. All of us struggle with prejudice. And here's why. Here's the fourth reason. Final reason. Our fallen nature. We're sinners. Paul says this in, in Romans chapter 7, verse 18, he said, For I know that good itself does not dwell in me, that is my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do good, but I don't carry it out. For I do not know, for I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep doing. By nature, we want to put our foot on somebody's neck. We want somebody to look up to us when we walk in the room. We want someone else to give us the special preferences. That's our nature. We are sinners by nature and we all have to look and be honest about what Paul said. He said, oh, wretched man am I. Who will deliver me from this body of sin? Who will deliver me from prejudice and discrimination and bias and stereotype? Who will deliver me? Uh, uh, people of color discriminate against each other. If a, if, a, if a black man says the same thing as an educated white man says to to some blacks, it doesn't have the same validity and authority. Because somehow ours is less informed or are less qualified. Uh, we discriminate against each other based on the texture of our hair and the size of our breasts and the shape. We, we are guilty of prejudice and discrimination within our own ethnic groups. Oh, wretched man in mind, who will deliver me? Our fallen nature. Now let's conclude with this. How do we rise to the occasion when the problem of discrimination occurs? The Bible says that the the, the Jewish widows, the Hebrew spoke, didn't speak fluent Hebrew who were being neglected, sometimes they they, they they were forced either to the end of the line and they got what was left. They didn't want to be in the food line. They, they There are so many people who are unemployed and now they have to get food uh, uh, from from donations of others. And, and so it's, it's very easy to say, man, wow, how, how could they stoop to that level? And why would they not go to work? Because their jobs have been taken. And so here you have these widows who have no one to advocate for them. What the, what the scripture says is that they begin to complain, complain, they spoke about it and those who are in authority address the problem. And so there are two levels of response that I want to share as I close. There's a response from the church and there's a response, an action plan that I want to give to you as a family, what our family should be doing at this time, while riots are breaking out around the country and COVID-19, COVID-19 has still not uh, uh, dissipated. People are still dying. They went. So here, here's the church model. Here's how they handle. Here's how they rose to the occasion. First of all, they admitted there's a problem. There's a problem. We have raised a generation of young people. I was listening to the mayor of. Uh, Atlanta and others telling kids to go home. And last time we visited Atlanta, we 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 were surprised. There, the the Atlanta that we once knew, it's different. We have raised a group of kids who are privileged. They know nothing about suffering. They know nothing about African American history and slavery. Don't care about it. Uh, they have not been raised in the church. They don't fear God. They don't fear authority. So when you tell grown African-Americans to go home and they've not respond, been taught to respect authority in God, that, that demand will fall on deaf ears. And so to that degree, the church and parents have fell their children because God has commanded parents to train up their children in the way that they should go. And when they are old, they will not depart. And so we would have a voice that we don't have if we had done our part. And so we, we want to we speak life now. Let's, let's go through this. Here's the response of the church. Admit there's a problem. There's a problem in the church between people of color and white, and, and white churches. Far too often, our white brethren are happy to let us sing to them and dance for them, but we can't lead with them. We can't teach them. We have nothing to offer. And many times we fill their churches. We buy their books. We go to their seminars. There's a problem. And because our brethren, the ones that we watch on TV, I haven't heard any of them, except for a few, even admit that there's an issue. And so starting with the pastors and the churches, we need to admit that there's a problem to our congregations. Ask and answer the hard questions when people who have who have less power challenge you with their reality. Don't act like people shouldn't be angry and hurt and enraged. And, and, and Let them ask the questions. Let them express how they really feel about what's going on. Listen. Let them share their reality. Racism, again, I'm using the term because that's what we understand. It's so engraved in us, it's real. George Floyd could be any of our sons. In fact, he could be you or me tomorrow. Admit there's a problem. Ask and answer questions uh, when people that had less power challenge you with their reality. Here, allow... Allow dialogue with the parties involved. In Matthew chapter 18, it says, "If your brother offends you, go to your brother." There should be a dialogue. What happens when the apostles in Acts chapter 6 found out what was going on? They immediately communicated with the church about the issue, and there was. Dialogue about the discrimination that was occurring to a minority group within the body. They talked about it. The elephant in the room was exposed. So allow dialogue, activate a plan to solve the problem rather than to prove a point. What they did, the apostles, and leaders of the church said, let's choose deacons, servants, That will be available to address the specific needs of a minority and, and also those who would otherwise be neglected or discriminated against. They 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 came up with an active plan of intervention. That's what the church needs. When all of the dust settles, the church needs to come together where there's pulpit exchange with black pastors and white pulpits and white pastors coming to black churches and black churches and white churches sitting down and processing these emotions from this open wound that has been covered by a Band-Aid since the inception of this country. We need to come up with a plan. Now, here's the family part of it. Parents. You need to take time. Stop the presses. Sit your family down. Do a Zoom. Do, do a, a Skype. And talk to your family about racial injustice. It's real. We try, we, we've We done all of our best to, to move to the nicest thing. We would, put our kids in the best communities. Uh, let them have all friends from different ethnic backgrounds. No, we need to talk about this. They need to be informed. This should not be totally shocking to this new generation. So parents, take the time, make the time to talk to your children about what's going on. Here's a second thing. Here's what I want you to do, New Direction and Partners. Pick up the phone as a family, do a a conference call. Call some of the seniors at your church at New Direction, call them. And ask them to share with you about their experiences in this country as a person of color and how they were able to survive and thrive. There's a history that's being lost. Uh, I want you to know people of color are the only uh, ethnicity that I am aware of that does not pass their history on to their families, to their offspring, to their posterity. We need to hear from the older saints about what their experiences were and how God enabled them to make it through and to survive without having a hate, a heart that is full with hate. And so here's the third thing so I want you to call call a senior citizen and, and don't don't bombard them, ask them when they're available and, and allow them to to pour out from to you the valuable things that we can learn from the past the greatest danger of ignoring the past is failing to learn from the past. If you don't know it, it it will explain why we behave the way we do in prayer. I'm almost finished. Here's the third thing. Join me in fasting and prayer on Wednesday by foregoing at least one meal or more as we pray throughout the day on Wednesday. And we'll conclude that at Bible study. When you join me, I will join together in prayer. We're gonna pray for our nation, want to pray for our families, want to pray for one another. And I did say that was the last thing, didn't I? But let me add this. As there are other ministries that are involved in cleanups or things of that nature, there may be opportunities for us to partner with them to be to rise to the occasion so that the church can be that distinct light in a dark time. When you get a chance, that last verse uh, in, in, in Acts chapter six, verse seven, it says, so the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly and large numbers of priests became obedient to the faith. I want you to know that the power of God is released. When we deal with problems biblically, the church just exploded. I want you to know that this is a time for the church. To explode in growth Explode in blessing people Explode in ways of speaking into dead situations The church ought to be the go-to spot We ought to be the ones that are giving hope We are the ones that ought to be telling people It's going to be all right Because God is yet in control And that the word of God has already predetermined How this thing is going to play out What will happen when we respond And rise to the occasion By responding biblically, power of God will be released and the nations will be blessed. Let's pray. Father God, we love you, we thank you, we praise you for this great opportunity not to shrink in fear, not to simply huddle up and protect our own resources, but the church has been made for such a time as this. God, may we rise up and deal with, by example, for the world, social injustice. God, I pray that the body of Christ would come together and and, and pastors who who are white would join with pastors of color and that we would speak out against the evil of injustice and that we would begin to communicate from the pulpit that, sec- that, that discrimination and prejudice and bias, it's wrong, it's evil, it dishonors God. May your church rise up to this occasion that the world will see that you have the answer for every problem. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. As we bring this time and the word to a close, you may have heard the words that I shared, and one of the verses that I made reference to was 1 Corinthians 2, verse 14, where it says, the, uh, the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, neither can he know them because they don't have the spirit of God their foolishness without the spirit of God you don't have a relationship with God the bible says that which is born of the flesh is flesh and that which is born of the spirit is spirit the way we experience spiritual birth is to acknowledge that Christ is lord and that he is savior and when he came and died he was taking our place on the cross. And I'm going to ask you to join me by acknowledging your need for Jesus to forgive you of your sins and to become your personal Savior and Lord on the basis of what he has done for us on the cross. If you are desirous of giving Christ your heart, just repeat this prayer after me. Lord Jesus, I believe that you died for me. Father, I thank you that the cross does not discriminate all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and Father I acknowledge my sin and I ask that you would forgive me through the work that Christ completed on the cross of dying for my sins being buried for my sins and rising on the third day thank you God that as many as receive Jesus by faith, you accept into his family and we become the sons and daughters of God. Thank you for saving me. Thank you God for the gift of eternal life through Christ. Let me continue to pray. If you sincerely pray that word of forgiveness to Christ, you are saved and you need to grow in your grace, grow in the grace and knowledge of Christ. So I ask that you would call our church that we may be able to reach out to you to walk with you so that you can become a disciple that makes disciples and now god we pray for our church we pray for our partners father we thank you for each person that is listening in and father i pray that we would rise to the occasion in jesus name and as we give the benediction may the grace of god and the love of our savior jesus christ and the sweet communion of the holy spirit rest rule and abide with us both now and forever, let us all say amen. 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 We do need a word from the Lord. Amen.